Shall we begin? Secondhand high. <laughs> Secondhand high. One, two, three. Howdy and hello, and welcome to this episode of Secondhand High, where we share those fly-on-the-wall moments of watching someone extend kindness and compassion to another and catching a feel-good high as a result. Today, my college friend, and I assume still current friend, Crotch, more on that name later, is visiting my humble abode from the wild potato prairies of Idaho. She'll be sharing with us how she got her high from witnessing how her father made a generous donation to a member of their community, even though it came as a personal sacrifice, as well as how a bishop helped her college roommate out of a financial pickle in her time of need. And now, without much further ado, welcome, Crotch. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're very welcome. So I feel like you should describe to people why your name is Crotch, because it's fairly infuriating to me that in college, I gave you that nickname and like it caught like wildfire and everyone (laughs) would call it to you. And now like I still call you that some 11, 12 years later. And I feel like people are a lot more hesitant. They're like, your friend, Jessica. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So in college, we lived in the same dorm together. And I believe I said something like snarky to you. You sure did. (laughs) When going down the hallway. And I I don't even remember exactly what it was about. Like it could have maybe even like bathroom cleanliness of the dorm. I don't even know. I have zero idea. What you have to understand is we lived in a place called Deseret Towers. And so it was like the cheapest housing, I think. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But the cool thing was we were all really good. Like everyone got along super well. And it was like there were two bathrooms rooms on a floor of how many were there at least 40 of us there had to have been and so there were two people to a room and so crotch was like my next door roomie she lived with someone else and I lived with my roommate Kara so I saw her constantly she'd hide in my closet and like (laughs) jump out at me and do creepy stuff like that so anyway I do remember that on our floor we'd always leave our doors open so that's why I was in the middle of trying to do homework it was late at night I was probably grumpy and you walk by and say some I missed some (laughs) some snarky comment to you and and you said bite me Jessica crotch it just flowed out of me yes (laughs) and so for some reason everyone started calling you Jessica crotch yes It somehow was fitting and it just got shortened to crotch. And so everybody from that period of my life calls me crotch, like for the most part to this day. Yeah, I'll never forget being at the dollar movie theater (laughs) one night and like someone from across the way saw us and they're like, Sweeney, crotch. Like in front of this huge crowd of people, everyone's like, where is this crotch? (laughs) Who is openly calling themselves this? So yeah, you're in my phone as crotch. I always and only call you crotch no matter who I'm talking about. Like, I say it to my in-laws sometime and I think they're still like, what? And I'll be like, oh yeah, my friend crotch is coming to visit. <laughs> so like, I don't feel like I can call you Jessica. It feels it's, gross. It feels and foreign. Awkward. And it, weirdly enough, you seem to prefer being called crotch to being called I Jessica. I do actually. Weirdly enough, somehow it feels more fitting and, I don't know, comfortable, homey. I think it's a beautiful name. And I think... <laughs> I think you should legally change your name. 
thing <laughs> and should just have that appear on all your important yeah, documents. I'll get right on that. Well, I think it's time for everyone to learn a little bit more about what makes a crotch a crotch. <laughs> well, I grew up in small town Idaho, did most of my growing up there um, in a large family. I went to college in Utah at BYU with you. Uh, I'm single, don't have kids, don't have a partner. Yeah, I have a business and a investment property that I spend a lot of time working on. And I'm I'm working on my second one, actually. I flipped a house a couple years ago, and now I'm trying to convert a home into a duplex and yeah, see where that gets me. (laughs) I think you should talk if you want a little bit more about like your career journey, because it's so fascinating to me how you went like literally like we were in college together. She went through the grind. She took so many credits. She was one semester away from graduating. And then she was just kind of like, meh. Tell everyone your major. Um, So my major was the, I guess it's technically School of Family Life with a marriage and family studies emphasis. It was like the undergrad geared towards marriage and family therapy. And I loved the major. I loved the classes I was taking. And I realized as time went on that if I was going to really have much of a career in that, I needed to get my master's degree. And I didn't want to just keep going to school. And school was really expensive. I was getting in a lot of debt to be able to go to school. And so I kind of hit this point where I was like, I don't really want to work in this field. I like I love the classes, but a career in that sounds really emotionally exhausting. And so I decided to quit school and just work for a while and pay down debt and see where life took me. And it took me a lot of different places. <laughs> um, I had worked a like, few different jobs over the years, but I finally decided a few years ago to go to beauty school. And so I got my esthetician license, um, which is in the beauty industry that's like skincare, makeup, waxing, that kind of thing. Uh, what I really got into is lash extensions because that's just gotten really big, especially in my area over the last few years. And so that's mostly what I do with my day to day is put lashes on people. What's the name of your lash business? It's technically called Infused Aesthetics. Infused Aesthetics? Yes. Okay. It's kind of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> now that you're having to say it out loud. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I never use that name. Like, it's funny because people contacting me just know me as Jess. And so mm-hmm. I, don't, I doubt a lot of my clients really know my formal business name. But um, you were talking about marketing techniques, like liking to look into the latest marketing techniques. Like, I can guarantee if you changed your name to Crotch, <laughs> that would be word of mouth marketing for sure. Right? Where did you get your lashes? Lashes? by crotch Uh, yeah that's a great strong marketing name lashes by crotch i think so crotch lashes maybe not because they're like where are these lashes coming from it sounds disgusting Maybe that's not the best idea. With the lashes, you'll probably be modest because you're being recorded, but <laughs> I'll do it for you. It's just interesting when someone is really good at something. I remember when I was getting married, so about three years ago, Crotch was really new. She had just recently become a licensed esthetician and I was getting married. So I thought, you know what? I'll do a few things I haven't done. I'll try extensions. I'll try lashes, blah, blah, blah. And so I went to someone and I just had a very unpleasant lash experience. I was sitting there getting my lashes done and she was mostly talking to the lady across about like a terrible date. When all was said and done, I took a photo of myself on Snapchat, I think. And I just wasn't super impressed. I was like, I feel like I could have put on mascara and achieved a fairly similar result. 
this doesn't feel like it was really worth it. And so the evening of the 4th of July of 2018, Crotch had brought her lash kit up to my wedding because we were there and a lot of my wedding party was hanging out a couple days before our wedding, which was on July 6th. So, so on July 4th, we'd had like a barbecue earlier that day. So late that night, like <laughs> Nick was there too, one of yeah. my former guests and you two were like splitting a hotel yep. and the heart-shaped tub, the, the heart-shaped tub hotel. We'd always wanted to be. <laughs> so we all got in later that night, but before then you were doing my lashes and I just couldn't believe the difference. It was night and day. I was like, oh, this is what kind of like when you try anything and then you try it again and it's actually a good version of it. You're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. So my lashes got to actually look really good in my wedding photos, which was fantastic. So she also did my mom's because my mom had always wanted to try it. And it took her quite a bit longer to do my mom's than mine because my mom's lashes are insanely curly. Like they almost, almost like they're ingrown curls. Yeah, Yeah, they (laughs) curl back on themselves. So crotch really laborious and painstakingly was doing her lashes for like three hours or something like that. And they looked really good. And anyone my mom went to after that, it never came across quite right. Like the people either weren't super dependable or they were just like, how does anyone do these? She always still, she was just really impressed with how good yours were. And I can only imagine how good you are three years later. And I know in your area, you're well known for your quality work and your high retention of the lashes staying in. So I just think that impressive when someone is not only does something, but they do it well and they keep up on their craft. Thank you. (laughs) Are you feeling flattered? Oh, so flattered. (laughs) (laughs) You should. So I mostly do uh, lash extensions and that keeps me busy with my day to day. And and then in my free time, I spend all my lash money on... (laughs) different odd house things and I've been slowly learning a few of the things but a lot of the stuff I hire out like there's a lot of learning things about what uh fixing up houses like what goes into those kinds of projects and obviously each house I have bought has different project needs but I've been learning to do things like a little bit of tile or I like to tell myself I'm gonna learn a little bit more about sheetrock but a lot of that I do hire out so didn't you just like learn to sand a floor or like I don't know what you were doing but the process was because I know Jack diddly about any of that. All I know is on Snapchat, you posted a picture of the body of a squirrel or something. <laughs> and it had been like stuck under so much junk because when you buy a flipped house, typically the house isn't necessarily in pristine condition. So like under all the crap that you pulled away, there was the outline of a dead squirrel whose <laughs> body had melded to the wood. And like you had to like buff that out or something. Yeah. So this house, a new experience was refinishing hardwood floors. Which I've refinished furniture and I thought it'd be, you know, kind of the same process on a larger scale, but it really kind of isn't. It's it's a lot more particular and I definitely learned a lot about how not to refinish a hardwood floor. But this house, um, one of the reasons I got it for such a good deal it was it was in really rough shape. They had pets that had been left inside a lot and the floors were really saturated with dog pee and poop. And so no matter no matter how much you cleaned it, it, it would still smell. So we had to sand it pretty deep. But in one of the bedrooms, it was surprisingly a cleaner bedroom. There was like this outline of like a body and we would always be like, I can't decide if a squirrel or kitten died here but like something had died and like rotted into the floor and so we just always kind of call it the squirrel stain gross 
I remember when I moved into one of my first apartment with Arthur, like there was some random stain on the carpet in our bedroom. And I think it like, it looked like some blob. It looked like it was a manatee. And I was like, <laughs> so we're going to have to call the office and tell them to get the manatee stain out of our carpet before we officially move in. Oh, what yeah. the hell is wrong with people? Anyway. <laughs> oh, you know what's interesting? I was also kind of thinking, it's interesting how you went from almost BYU grad to then you ended up in like jackpot as a, like a waitress. Mm-hmm. And that experience was always fascinating because I like visited you at work at yes. one point and got to see the fun costumes they made you guys wear. <laughs> and we just gambled. I remember specifically trying to take a picture out on the floor with you. And then some guards came out because <laughs> I guess they thought we were cheating. I'm like, sir, I'm not smart enough at gambling and math to be doing any kind of numbers cheating. But I can understand you wanting to maintain a cheat-free facility. So I won't take any more pictures <laughs> of my of me attempting to win your money. Yeah. I worked in a casino just over the Idaho border. There's a little town called Jackpot, Nevada. And you can go down there to gamble. Everybody does in Southern Idaho. And anyway, so I was a cocktail waitress there for about five years. When I first started, I had never even had alcohol before. So that was definitely interesting and a learning experience. You definitely get a lot of stories working in a casino. It's a very different type of atmosphere there. Weren't the drinks free? Yes. I remember when you told me that I was like, what? I was so, my mind was so blown because when I did go and visit you, I think I was like, ooh, I'm going to get like a virgin milkshake. I was so excited. (laughs) I was like, this milk shakes free <laughs> and I'm taking money because I think we actually did win a little bit because yeah. it was beginner's luck so I'm like I robbed your work <laughs> oh yeah yeah they like to ply you with a little bit of alcohol to keep your wallet open so that they can make money off of you in a casino so that was my job I it, you mostly make tips just delivering free alcohol to people who are gambling so yeah sweet <laughs> <laughs> Interesting life experiences. (laughs) Right. So obviously you're interested in flipping houses, but what are some other, I mean, I know when you come here to visit in Arizona, you're always like, there's such a glut of things to do, (laughs) but you also do quite a few things in Idaho. And I know Idaho is well known for having, well, maybe it's not actually well known. People don't want people coming to Idaho because they're (laughs) they're like, this is our own private Idaho. And we have, (laughs) we have our fishing holes and we have our swim holes and we have like our hunting and like all the things that people like to do that are kind of well-kept secrets and it makes it, it can make it enjoyable for the residents to have like all this outdoor stuff to do. Oh yeah. We, so the town I live in is right off the Snake River Canyon. And so there's tons of hiking and kayaking and paddleboarding and playing in the river and all kinds of outdoors activities. And, and it's true. The locals don't like, cause Idaho is growing like crazy. And so they don't like how big cities, certain small towns are starting to feel, or like we're in an area where we don't usually have traffic but now we have a lot more people on the roads and people are getting really upset about it because they liked the small town. It's easy to be secluded and, you know, just kind of off the beaten path. So I can understand that just because it's so much extra planning instead of just being like, I'm going to go and pick up a gallon of milk or something. I'm like, okay, what time is it? How busy is it going to be? How hot is it outside? So I, I can feel a certain sense of empathy towards people like that. But 
kind of funny we all get in our heads that we like have ownership of these places oh, yeah. like Pocahontas you think you own whatever land you land on it's like <laughs> you know they're like well I've lived in Idaho for generations and so there is that sense of we don't want outsiders like visiting crotch up in Idaho gave me kind of a more appreciation for it because I've never really liked Idaho to be honest it took me going and visiting her and then living pretty close to the border of Idaho because Coeur d'Alene is in Idaho and it's very beautiful to really kind of appreciate some of the stuff that you can only really do or know when you either A, live there or B, are with someone who does live there and knows about all the kind of hidden gems, as it were. Yeah, I think our area, especially, you could so easily just drive through and like the the way the freeway goes, you wouldn't even see the canyon or see a, like some really cool scenic sites. And I think that's one of the reasons like things like social media has brought a lot of people because there's so many Instagram worthy locations and things mm-hmm. to go do and see that attract people to the area and beautiful hot springs that are very secluded that now aren't so secluded because everybody there, there's out of state plates there there's more people all the time. Yeah, I definitely think with the advent of social media, you do start to see a lot of plates from like when we went to Sliding Rock here in Arizona, when you visited a couple years back, and I only knew about it because of social media. And I live here. And so it looked really fun. But you I noticed there were a lot of people from out of the way. And it's interesting to think before social media, even within your own state, how many things would you just never have heard of or know about? Because there's still things in Arizona. I'm like, oh, I definitely want to go there or try that out. Or it just feels like there's endless things to do and try, which I think is nice because yeah. it, it makes I like options. that part of social media. Like, because it's true, even in my own area, like I've learned even in just recent years, different waterfalls that are just like right close to me or different things. And I've grown up in the area for the most part, but there's tons of things I still haven't seen Mm-hmm. just on the bucket list yeah just in your own backyard there can be so many cool things to do so i do like that and i i mean technology all of that always a double-edged sword because you know <laughs> sometimes it's nice to be able to have the ability to easily find things i'd get so lost without gps but then it also comes with the price of you do have to deal with people which can be cool because having other people like getting to enjoy something with other people whether you know them or not it's kind of almost a lost art nowadays oh, because yeah we get very much like I'm with the group I came with or I'm by myself and that's how I want it but I've when I go out to places there's always times where I'll meet different people and it's like they kind of become part of the experience so well I think we're about time where we can let you tell us your story about how you experienced a secondhand high or you have two highs like gotta stay high all the time all the time Okay, well, the first story was, I think I was early teens. My, I've come from a large family. We have seven kids and we needed a larger vehicle to accommodate seven children, including a few car seats, all of the above. And so my dad ended up buying a like used Suburban, but our old minivan we had, it was interesting because at the time, instead of like trading it in or selling it to help pay for the other vehicle, he instead had heard of a family in our community. It was a single mom, actually, who also had several kids, although not quite as much as us. And needed. she had some car trouble, like the car broke down or something recently. And she needed a new vehicle, especially for work, commute, that kind of a thing. And so my dad ended up just gifting her the vehicle. And it's, it's something I think, I don't think I even really realized as much then 
how much of a gift that is because I look at it now like if you know when buying a new vehicle like it's definitely a lot easier to trade in your current or sell it to get something to put towards the next vehicle and so our family we had a lot of kids and we didn't always have a lot of extra money so it's interesting that he could find that generosity to give when it would have been like financially wise to have just sold it and done better for yourself. Like it's an example to me of how even if you don't necessarily have a lot of extra in your life, there are still so many ways you can give small or big to people that do make a big difference. Yeah, I think about that a lot too, because you just never know when you're going to get hit with something. And it's always easy when you see, I think sometimes we get in a mindset where you see someone else who's in a situation and it's like, oh, well, they're bad choices or, Mm -hmm. oh, like you shouldn't have had so many kids, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's an easier way to kind of cope with the fact life can be so hard and unfair. And so sometimes it's easier to just be like, well, like that's, that's the roll of the dice. That's just how things are sometimes. But instead of doing that to to see that need and kind of have a need yourself, like you said, your family was big. It's not like, you know, there were a ton of extra funds around and it can be so much, you know, there's so much to be said for being able to trade in a vehicle and have those funds go towards something else. But, you know, I could see how that would be really inspiring to see your dad do that and be that generous. Do you remember how you felt at the time versus how you feel now? Well, I think when I was young, like, I thought of it just as something like, oh, yeah, this is what we do. We go through the motions, like, because I was raised religious. And so there definitely was this emphasis to, like, give to people. And so I think I, like, just was very thoughtless about it then. And, you know, like, because, like, what is a car to me as a kid who's never purchased one, you know, (laughs) like, to understand the expenses and how that works. And I think now is when I realize like, oh, that's not just a small, oh, we were kind to somebody that, you know, that's kind of a big give. I sit here even now, like in times when I've been buying new vehicles or things like that or selling old vehicles, I've never thought to like just give it away. Like that's a substantial expense, you know. But you've been generous with cars with people too. Like you've I mean, you have helped people buy cars. I wonder if like that has any connection. It probably does. You know, like if I can, especially if I know somebody's situation and know that, you know, they're trying to do something good for themselves, trying to build themselves. Like a car is something that's such a utility to, you know, like you can't really work in, especially in the area I live in. We don't have public transit. You need a vehicle to commute to work. It's a widespread out rural area. So getting a vehicle is crucial to having income and generally serving. Surviving. So yeah, in that way, like when I've seen people who've needed help, I have helped them to try to get a vehicle and get that squared away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you've done that on more than one occasion. And I think it's something that we don't always connect those things when we're doing that. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm doing a nice thing for someone else. But I think sometimes seeing those good deeds from other people helps plant those seeds at oh, yes. the very least. So I think that <laughs> way to go, Papa Blau. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he never hears this. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> 
Anyway, I know that you also have another high that is also kind of, interestingly enough, religious. Because you don't consider yourself religious now. I don't at all. But yeah, so in college, which, you know, that time of life, I swear everybody's just young and broke and figuring out the adulting thing. One of my roommates, uh, she had lost work. I don't even remember how, but she had lost work and her family wasn't really in the position to help her. She was from out of state and just kind of really in a bad patch. And I had a bishop at the time. He actually was pretty well off. He did have like the habit of just being a very generous man. So instead of just like doing like the, what the church has in place, like as far as like assistance or welfare, he himself paid her rent and paid her bills for at least a few months to get her back on her feet. And funny, it's, it's something I thought of then, you know, like it was easy to think of him as like a wealthy man who had the means to do so. But reflecting on it now, like he really gave a lot to a lot of people, like especially like being the leader of a bunch of young adults who just are kind of just getting out there. Like he really did make a big difference for a lot of people that way. For me, it's something that I didn't realize then, but I realize now that it's something I kind of aspire to. I like, I have it like an investment property and have goals to generally get to a certain level of financial success. And one of the big reasons I want to do that is so that I can easily be so generous to people, especially like things that are near and dear to my heart, like foster care. Those early adult years of aging out of foster is like something so big to me and supporting that where I can. And so I would especially love to be at a point that it's like you can just freely give to that without it setting you back. So with Arthur, he has this game he loves to play. I swear he plays it. We do it once a week. And I'm like, I am not doing this anymore. I was like, I play this game as much as I can with you. Where? And he's like, if we won the lottery or if we had a billion dollars, you know, one of those things, everybody does this. And so, you know, we've already worked out all the scenarios of what we're doing with our money. But I'm always like, man, billions are in the hands of the wrong people. Because I know so many people like what you're saying, who would do those kinds of things and give to causes. And I feel that same way it's like you imagine having the superpower of money wherein like I remember seeing a Facebook post where they're like can you imagine just being able to like have the money where you could just fix Flint's water problem and give them clean water or you could just in lower income areas hopefully give to the schools and help people rise out of poverty if you could like those are the kind of scenarios that are fun to think of so I can't imagine having that money and not doing it but I think that's a good aspirational goal is to doing all these things that you're doing because I think we were talking earlier about how I know you've always wanted to retire early. And I think today's the first day where you said, I don't know that I want to do that. I'd be bored. And retiring doesn't always look like just continuing to work in the traditional sense. It could be, like you said, having the means to help actively engage foster youth and help them transition to the next stage of their lives or help them financially. And that would be its own kind of rewarding work. So I think that's kind of a cool long-term goal. And I think that's neat that seeing your bishop be so generous made you feel that way or like helped inspire that because I had my own share of bishops and some of them you could tell really loved the young adults and some of them were just kind of punching a clock because they had their own families and lives and it's a busy time consuming job so I understand that 100% but you know having someone go that extra mile like that I could see how that would make a huge difference because yeah college poverty is no joke (laughs) like I'll never forget the things you would eat In college, I still have the mental scar from you putting mayonnaise on a frozen burrito. Well, it needed sauce and it was the sauce available. (laughs) 
I hope that like becomes a trend for <laughs> someone hears this in college and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a culinary masterpiece. <laughs> well, I think that those are a high note to end on. And I appreciate you coming here into my, I guess, studio, my office <laughs> slash studio slash guest room that you've been <laughs> sleeping in the last couple nights to share far and wide your... Yes. <laughs> All your crotchy goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words of wisdom you'd like to impart to oh. all of us? Oh, uh, you, you have I'm, sure, I'm sure Let's... I have a lot of great one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll just tell you to keep it dry, Doug. Awesome. That'll that's... just be our one-liner forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how we end all our phone conversations, because yes. it's from 50 First Dates. Anyway, thanks for joining us, and everyone stay safe and dry out there. <laughs> Do you have a story about a time you experienced a secondhand high? Then don't be shy. Sharing is caring. To have your story featured on the podcast, you can email secondhandhigh.omai at gmail.com. And that's second spelled out S-E-C-O-N-D. Or message the Secondhand High Facebook or Instagram page. While you're there, feel free to leave a glowing review. Always appreciated. Thanks for listening. And remember to be well, do good. Oh, yeah.